Thank you for tuning in to the World Overcomers podcast. On behalf of our senior pastor, Andy Thompson, we appreciate your continued support and generosity. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to receive updates when we post new content every week. If you would like more information or want to make a contribution to World Overcomers or Pastor Andy, visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Once again, that is www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Enjoy the message. World Overcomers family, hey, what's going on? My name is Pastor Manny Arango. Super, super excited to be with you for uh, not just a Wednesday night, but four Wednesday nights. Uh, we're going to launch into a series, and I'm titling this series Resilient, okay? Resilient. I, I want to know in the chat, okay, immediately, tell me uh, if there's any of you who you're like, man, I, life has been beating me up. The enemy has been attacking me, man, but on the inside, I feel an inner resilience. I've got to realize that I've got strength on the inside of me. And over the next four weeks, I want to talk about resilience because we cannot stop the turbulence of life, but we can totally become the kind of person that's resilient in every storm, resilient in every struggle, resilient through every trial, resilient through turbulation. Resilient through turbulence, resilient in hard times. I want to be someone, not that prays problems away, but I want to be someone who's stable even in the middle of problems. Turbulent, I mean uh, resilient, okay, resilient. That's the word that I want to be birthed in your spirit over the next four weeks. That God wants to deposit something in you that's going to make you a resilient person. Not someone who's easily influenced, uh, not someone who's just swayed uh, back, and from, uh, back and forth by every wind and wave of doctrine, but someone who's resilient. Come on, your family needs you to be resilient. Your spouse needs you to be resilient. Uh, a generation needs you to be resilient. Someone who's dependable. Someone who can be counted on. In uh, in the character that we are going to study, in order to uh, do a case study on biblical resilience, is Joseph. Okay, we're going to dive into the life of Joseph and the story of Joseph uh, for the next four weeks. So uh, I want you to get perfect attendance. Okay, for this uh, uh, for these Wednesday night experiences, I want you to be here every single Wednesday night. Uh, me, me and you, you, me and the fam, okay, I want you uh, to dive in. We're going to stay uh, right in the book of Genesis, and we're going to do a deep dive into the life and the story of Joseph. You may not know this, uh, but Joseph is actually one of the characters in the Bible who has the most parallels to Jesus, okay? Uh, we're going to dive into Joseph uh, because he is an Old Testament type and shadow uh, for Jesus, okay? Uh, if you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph has biological brothers, and these biological brothers do not believe in the dream on his life. They don't believe in the identity that he has spoken to them about. Uh, they are haters. They are doubters, and if you fast forward and get into the New Testament, Jesus also has biological brothers who do not believe in his power, they don't believe in his miracles, they don't believe in his identity. Sometimes it's those who are closest to us 
that don't believe in the very thing that God has spoken and revealed over our lives. Uh, uh, Joseph, if you remember in the story of Joseph, uh, is tempted. He's tempted by Potiphar's wife, yet uh, uh, upholds his integrity. He's tempted, but upholds his integrity. If you fast forward, Jesus is tempted in every way, yet does not sin. Because Joseph is a foreshadow of Jesus. Uh, Joseph is uh, not guilty. He's not guilty of anything that Potiphar's wife is saying. So Potiphar's wife has to what? Make up false accusations and false charges in order to get him in prison. And if you fast forward the story, Jesus is innocent. Not just uh, sinless or blameless, but innocent. Like from a, from a legal standpoint, has done nothing illegal. So what do the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders do? They get false witnesses to present false testimony about Jesus so that they can get him locked up in prison. Joseph is condemned with two criminals. Oh yes, the cupbearer and the baker. Jesus is condemned with two criminals, a thief on his right and a thief on his left. Uh, Joseph is condemned with two criminals and one of those criminals is restored to his former position and one of those criminals has to die a violent death. Jesus is on the cross with two criminals and one of those criminals, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise and to the other criminal, Jesus uh, does not give any promise of eternal life. Uh, uh, Joseph is stripped of his royal robes. His dad gives him a, 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 a robe of many colors, and Joseph's brothers strip him of his robe. Well, Jesus in the New Testament is stripped of his royal garments, and the Roman soldiers cast lots for Jesus's royal robe. That not only was Joseph stripped, uh, but then he was sold for silver. Actually, the precise amount is 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus is also betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. If you look at the brother that is in charge of the selling of his brother Joseph into slavery, his name is Judah. And in the New Testament, the man that's responsible for selling Jesus into slavery, his name is Judas. Oh, I could go on and on. They put Joseph into a cistern. They threw him into a pit. They came back the next day, and they swore up and down that they were going to find a corpse in that pit. But Joseph was not dead, but was alive. Oh, they threw Jesus into a tomb. They thought that they were going to come back on Sunday morning to uh, a corpse, to a dead body, but they did not. Oh, Jesus was alive and well. And finally, by the end of Joseph's story, his brothers bow down to him. And the Bible tells us in Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, there are, I mean, dozens of parallels between Joseph and Jesus. And Joseph is an Old Testament type and shadow of this man named Jesus. And I don't know anyone more resilient than Jesus. Uh, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, he's resilient. 
I mean, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, press, under pressure, prays so hard that his sweat turns to blood, but he's resilient. Uh, I don't know another person who, 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 who models resilience in the New Testament besides the one and only Jesus Christ. And so we're going to dive into this man named Joseph so that we can understand what it, what it means to be a resilient person, a consistent person, a person of high character, a person of high integrity, a person who's dependable, a person who God can use to build his church, someone that God can use that is a steady foundation. I want to know, are, are you inconsistent? Uh, do, you, do you have issues being dependable? Uh, do you get easily uh, dismayed by the issues of life? By the end of this four weeks, I hope that, that, that I say the word resilient so much that you're low-key annoyed, okay? But I need you to make a confession in the chat right now. Whether, wh whatever uh, platform you're watching this on, whether it be Facebook, whether it be YouTube, I need you to make a confession in the chat and say, I'm going to become resilient. Come on, I'm going to become resilient. I'm not going to continue to pray problems away. I'm going to become a resilient person. Come hell or high water, I'm going to be resilient. Whether there's a pandemic or not, I'm going to be resilient. Whether I lose the company or not, I'm going to be resilient. I'm going to be someone who uh, stands the test of time. I'm a bulwark, okay? Come on. I'm made of concrete. I'm a, I'm a rock. I am I'm, I'm, I'm Ford built tough. Like, I am resilient. I'm stubborn, okay? I'm a, I'm a mule. I, I am resilient. I do not take no for an answer. I'm resilient. Come on, I'm as stubborn as they come. I'm resilient. I need to get this into your spirit uh, because we've got too many believers who are wishy-washy, too many believers who flip-flop, too many believers uh, who... Your inner strength is dependent upon outward circumstances. But we've got to get to the point where you begin to decide, I'm going to be uh, resilient. So, so, so week one, okay, today, I, I just uh, want to talk. I just want to talk about Joseph's integrity. If you're going to be a resilient person, I want you to write this down, then you've got to have integrity. What's integrity? Integrity is my uh, ability to have an integrated life. Uh, integrity is, is actually rooted in the idea of an integer. If you remember math class, okay, an integer is any number that's divisible by one. So when I have integrity, it means I'm the same person every single place that I go. There's no difference between the church me and the family me or the work me. Uh, or who I am around these group of people versus who I am around another group of people. No, my life is not divisible. I, I, I'm the same person everywhere that I go. I have integrity. Uh, uh, the other idea for integrity is what? Integrated. That my life is not compartmentalized. My life is not segregated. I don't have the spiritual part of my life and then the financial part of my life and then the physical part of my life or then the emotional part of my life, I actually realize that all of life is equally spiritual. I can't say praying 
and worship is a spiritual activity, but working out and, uh, come on, give me an amen, going to Orange Theory Fitness, uh, I go to Orange Theory, is not spiritual, but that's physical. Or doing a budget meeting uh, with my wife so that we can manage our finances well, is, is that's financial, that's not spiritual. No, all of life is spiritual. If you compartmentalize life, then you think that the only day that God wants to address your spiritual life is on Sunday. But uh, this is actually funny. Me and my wife, uh, had, my wife had just given birth to my son. And she was saying, I, I just don't feel real spiritual. You know, we're, uh, we had just gone through a pandemic. Church wasn't open yet. I don't know. She just wasn't feeling, feeling spiritual. And I said, you just did one of the most spiritual things you could do. You sacrificed your body so that life could come into the world. You just pushed a human being out of your body. That is spiritual. Maybe you've never heard this before, that, uh, that all of life is spiritual. We do not believe in compartmentalizing life. We believe that every single part of my life is, get this, integrated. And I will never have integrity until I adopt a mindset that believes that all of my life is integrated. I cannot have integrity without integration. If my life is segregated and compartmentalized, I will always lack integrity because I'll see my finances as something that's not spiritual. I'll see working out as something that's not spiritual. I will see how I act on my job different than how I act at church because church is spiritual and my job is not. I'll see my career as something that I don't have to have a lot of integrity in, but my family, I do need to have integrity in because these areas of my life are separate, segregated, and compartmentalized. If you're going to be a resilient person, you have to have integrity. And the first way to establish integrity is by uh, getting rid of the duality of life. What do I mean by duality? As many of you know, I'm in a doctoral program right now. And so every time, you know, I'm about to say something nerdy, I just want to give people a heads up. Like, hey, you're about to get a nerdy nugget, all right? Hashtag nerdy nugget. Uh, uh, this idea that uh, my spiritual life is separate than my physical life is actually not a biblical idea, but it is a Greek idea. And Greek culture is the foundation of Western civilization. If you are an American, if you live in America, then we live in the West, okay? This is not the East. When we think about Eastern cultures, that would be the Middle East, that would be Asian cultures, that would be Russian culture, uh, but Western culture is uh, European culture, that is American culture, that's Australian culture. These cultures are heavily influenced by Western civilization, and at the bedrock of Western civilization is Greek philosophy. That is why the ideas of Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato are so prevalent in our society because these three men created a philosophical framework that all of us who are living in America are actually living in. And all three of these men believed in the duality of life. They believed that the spiritual was good and that the physical was bad. 
that actually your body was, that, that your spirit was in prison in your flesh. And that in order for your spirit to actually be liberated from your flesh, you needed to die and become an angel and go off to a heaven where disembodied souls live. That idea that one day you're going to die and become an angel and go live in heaven and you're not going to have a body is not a biblical idea. That's not a Christian idea. That is a Greek idea. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus died and that he resurrected with a physical body, blood and flesh, flesh and blood, and that he will continue to have a physical body for the rest of his life because there's nothing wrong with the physicality of life. Now, if you grew up in a holiness tradition, holiness taught you that the flesh is bad. Oh, the flesh is bad. So they taught you don't wear makeup because the flesh is bad. And they taught you wear skirts down to your ankles because the flesh is bad. And they taught you that, you know, sex is a necessary evil for reproduction, but really it's not that. It is bad. The flesh is bad. And I came to tell you that if God had wanted Adam and Eve to be in heaven with him, he would have created them as angels to be in heaven with him. But that's not what God did. God put physical flesh and blood human beings on a physical earth with the matter and physical things that could be touched because there's nothing wrong with the physical. Actually, there's no duality between spiritual and physical. The spiritual is infused in everything that's physical, which is why we can say, hey, sex is not just physical. If you have sex with someone, you are performing a spiritual act because all of your life is, what's the word I'm going to say, integrated, integrated. The goal of the believer is not to escape the prison of your body and go become an angel somewhere. No, the goal of the believer is to model your life after Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus resurrects from the dead and comes to his disciples and says, y'all got anything to eat? I'm hungry, okay? Jesus is going to have a physical body for the rest of eternity, and get this, so are you. The goal of the believer is not to die and go to heaven. The goal of the believer is to die and then be resurrected from the dead when Jesus returns as a triumphant king. At the second return, at the, at the return of Jesus, you will be resurrected from the dead and you will be flesh and bones again. You will have hair. You, if you wanted to be tall, you're going to be tall. You're going to have a body because this idea that the physical is bad and the spiritual is good is a Greek idea. Actually, it's a Greek idea rooted in a philosophy called Gnosticism. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Gnosticism. Gnosticism. It's not a Christian idea. However, whoo, because the Bible is written in Greek and because Jesus is a Jewish person living in the Roman Empire, 
that is built on Greek civilization and Greek philosophy with Greek gods because the Bible was birthed into the Greek language and was surrounded by Greek philosophy, there are Greek ideas that, sept in, that, that, that snuck into early church Christian doctrine by the first couple of hundreds of years of the church. And to be quite honest, whenever I start telling people there's nothing wrong with the physical, there's nothing wrong with sex, there's nothing wrong with money, there's nothing wrong with anything that's physical, that God created pleasure, God created taste buds, God created sexual sensation, God created everything that is physical, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with the physical attributes of life. People look at me like I've got five heads. People look at me like I'm carnal. People look at me like, ooh, you, 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 you worldly. And I would look back at you and say, no, you just got indoctrinated by someone with a holiness agenda. You got indoctrinated by someone who was scared of your free will. You got indoctrinated by someone who wanted to control your actions and wanted you to live holy. And I would say, actually, I live a pretty holy life and I don't need to believe a lie in order to get me to live holy. If you need to believe a lie in order to get you to live holy, then I don't know how mature you really are. I would actually contend that true maturity is knowing that the physical is good. However, man, if I indulge in my flesh, then my flesh that God gave me to bless me will bring bondage into my life. And that is a nuanced idea. That is a true idea. And there's a lot of communicators and preachers that have gone so extreme that they have made the flesh evil in order to scare people into not even going close to doing anything that's fleshly or anything that is worldly. But that is an extreme. And if we continue to have extreme views, then the pendulum will continue to swing back and forth because I have grown up with the children of people whose parents believed that the flesh is evil and the flesh is wrong. And you want to know what that produces? That kind of strict, legalistic, holiness uh, brand of Christianity produces in the next generation licentiousness. And then licentiousness, uh, what we begin to realize is, man, <laughs> licentiousness is a loose lifestyle. I can drink what I want, smoke what I want, because... God is a God of grace. And then what happens is we lose all morality and the next generation brings the pendulum all the way back to extreme, uh, to another extreme. And then what? The next generation goes back to another extreme. And I'm saying there's tension in balance. We believe in balanced victory for the God-designed life. That is the, that is the mantra here at World Overcomers. Balanced victory for the God-designed life. I don't need to teach you an extreme thinking that an extreme theological view is going to create balance in your life. Actually, it's a balanced, nuanced theological thought that is going to create balance in your life. And really, the goal of balance is that you would lead, live a life that is integrated.
Can I help you? When you sit down to budget your money, you are doing something that is deeply spiritual because there's no such thing as being bad with money. My father uh, was an addict. He was a drug addict for years. And my father was not bad with money. No, everyone is the same with money. Everyone spends their money or invests their money based on their values. There's no such thing as being bad with money. If you are bad with money, you are bad with life. The drug dealer in our neighborhood got all my family's wealth because my dad was not bad with money. He was bad with life. His addiction stole his money because money is not just a worldly idea. No, we talk about money in church because all of life is spiritual. We talk about sex in church because all of life is spiritual. We talk about your temple, your physical body. Paul doesn't say your, your spirit is the house of the Holy Spirit. That's not what Paul says. He says your body, he doesn't say your spirit is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is not what Paul says. He says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your physical body. Without a physical body, you are not even eligible to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. This doctrine or this idea that my life is compartmentalized, that my life is separate and segregated, is the first stumbling block to having true integrity. Integrity. Joseph has integrity. Integrity. He is the same. When he's working for his father, he's second in command. Then he gets sold into slavery, and he's working for a man named Potiphar, and he becomes second in command. Then he winds up in prison because he keeps his integrity when Potiphar's wife wants to have sex with him. And in prison, he becomes second in command. Then he gets elevated to becoming second in command in all of Egypt. And what you just saw is integrity. I'm the second in command when I'm with my father. I'm the second in command when I'm in slavery. I'm the second in command when I'm in prison. And I'm the second in command when I live in the palace. Doesn't matter where I am, I'm the same person. I'm the same person in the boardroom that I am in the bedroom. I'm the same person in my bedroom as I am on the front row at church. I'm the same person at the, on the front row at church. I'm the same person. And we have seen enough Christians who are different at church than they are at home. And for a lot of us, that's why your kids don't want nothing to do with God. Because all church became was a method for you to escape life. The idea that we are going off to heaven to leave this earth behind is slave theology. Now, I understand why enslaved people had this theology. Because their life was terrible. Their life was tragedy. Their life was a, a, a total subjugation by another race of people. So enslaved people begin to create theology. You can see this in Negro spirituals. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming to take me home. They created a theology where ain't nothing this world has to offer me and I need to escape this earth and go to heaven 
and God is going to rescue me. They created that theology because they wanted to escape the misery of their life. Anyone who wants to bring the duality of life, Greek dualism or Greek Gnosticism, is really saying that they want to escape this world and escape this life. So the question then becomes, why do you want to escape this world? Why do you want to escape this life? And we have to now deal with the root of the problem. What is going on in your life that makes you want to escape your life? For many people, this is going to step on your toes, church is just another drug. You have swapped out the drug that you used to get in the world that helped you to escape life, and now you get high on Jesus, and you get high on worship, and all the stuff that we do in church is an escape. And if you are in an emotional loop where all church becomes is a cathartic release, then I want to challenge you because you at some point have to get healed and stop using church as an escape because escapism is fundamental to dualistic theology that creates a divide between things that are spiritual and things that are physical. When the physical isn't enjoyable, most people will just opt for spiritual pleasure because their physical life is not worth living. And I'm here to tell you, if you are someone who your only form of pleasure in life are spiritual highs, then you are not living, you are not living the abundant life that Jesus actually died for you to live. Jesus died so that you could have fullness of life. And fullness of life is marriage and family and kids and wealth and property and career and your mental health and your physical health and your the fullness of life. The fullness of life. And if you feel like you failed at, uh, at attaining the full abundant life that God has for you in the, in the physical, most people just opt for at least having some kind of spiritual ecstasy. And I'm here to tell you the truth, that if you are someone whose life is lopsided, that you have put all your chips in the spiritual, all your eggs are in the spiritual basket, all your chips are betting on just spiritual things, you're actually not going to be that attractive to a broken world. You are so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. And Joseph is actually both. He can prophesy, he can interpret dreams, he's a powerful spiritual giant in the Bible, but he's also earthly minded. He understands real estate, he understands stewardship, he understands relational equity, he understands politics. Joseph is someone who is good at life, the abundance of life, the totality of life. Joseph actually excels in every single sphere of life. Can I ask you a question tonight? 
going to ask you a question on this Wednesday night as we launch this series. Have you relegated your life just to spiritual success because you're not physically successful? That's the first question. Second question. Deep down in your, uh, in, in the foundation of what you believe about spirituality and life and Christianity, have you adopted a secular or Greek or dualistic mindset that separates the physical from the spiritual? If so, guess what? I need you to rock with me all four weeks. I need you to rock with me all four weeks. If this blessed you tonight, I need you to let me know in the chat. Be like, this blessed me. If it was too nerdy, let me know in the chat. If you're like, this is actually perfect. I needed this because I grew up in a world that saw the flesh is bad and, and, and the spirit is good. Go ahead, let me know in the chat. I want to declare over your life tonight. I want to declare over your life that you're going to have an integrated life and that you're going to walk in unprecedented integrity. And that integri integrity is going to lead you to becoming a resilient individual. Come on, I want to pray for you before we dismiss. God, I thank you for every single person tuned in around the world. God, I thank you that uh, resilient character is around the corner. God, I thank you that throughout these four weeks that you are going to reveal your heart, you're going to reveal your character in a way that is tangible, in a way that's helpful. God, I've got sermons <laughs> planned for these next four weeks, but you have a message. So God, I ask that you would take control. And God, I thank you right now as we dismiss. God, I thank you for everyone that's watching this. God, I ask that you would help to shift their paradigm over the next four weeks. That God, that you would give them the grace, not just to hear what I'm saying, but to implement what I'm saying. We prophesy integrity over their life. We prophesy resilience over their life. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Come on. And everybody typed in the chat, amen, 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 amen. Hey, if you're from World Overcomers, we'll see you on Sunday in person. If you're not from World Overcomers, I'm glad that you tuned in uh, to watch this message. I'll see you right here next week as we continue this sermon series on resilience. I love you. Peace. Hopefully you were blessed and encouraged by this message. Visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast for more information on WOCC and events that are coming up. Maybe we are coming to your area soon. God bless.